Worry is a gift because you can wake up in the middle of the night, stressed out, panicked about whatever you're freaking out about, and realize that it's a guidepost that's showing you that you're going in the wrong direction. Hey everyone, this is Kelvin, and welcome to another message from Elevate Retake. I'm excited to be with you. I was gone for about a week or so on a trip, but we're back pumping out the content and the episodes for you. We're continuing our series, Righteousness by Heart. And this week, we're going to be talking about something that we all struggle with. Pastor Billy Hungate, friend of Pastor Michael Gibson from Portland, Oregon, is with us today to give us the message. And he's going to talk about worry, but how it can be a gift and what Jesus has to say about how much we worry about things every single day. The question that we would love for you to think about as you listen to today's episode is why do we worry? We hope you enjoy the message and are maybe able to share it with a family member or a friend. Here's Pastor Billy Hungate. So I have this maroon shirt that I got a few months ago that says, there's always room in the kingdom for one more. And I think that's what you guys say here, right? And when I was at a food truck, my wife and I, Portland, I'm from Portland, Oregon. Um, there's food trucks everywhere. Uh, a lady came up to me and she said, I really, really love your shirt. And so your shirts, Michael, are <laughs> blessing people all over. So thank you. Um, you guys have a wonderful leader in Pastor Michael. Uh, he and I went to seminary together for a short time, but uh, a leader that I would like to follow is someone like Michael, who's always interested in learning more, being better, and blessing as many people as he possibly can with the people that he has influence over. And I just want to affirm you in that, and I appreciate you. So as I said, my name is uh, Billy Hungate, and I am from Portland, Oregon. Seven years ago, I sat right back there in those pews. It was my second time ever being in an Adventist church. I'm not um, originally born an Adventist. And when I had told my, uh, my mom that I was interested in this Adventist girl, the first thing she said to me was, be careful, Billy. Those Adventists are a cult. <laughs> and so I sit down in that pew and it's December. And there's some, there's some bustling going on. And all of a sudden, all these young kids in all black everything line the whole exterior of the church. And I'm looking around like, what is going on here? And then all of a sudden, you hear, and someone blows the shafar. And I'm on the edge of my seat getting ready to bail waiting for someone to come hand me some juice to drink or something. <laughs> Luckily, there was no juice. And it just shows the transformative power because seven years ago, I did not think that I would be up here in front of you today just being able to share God's word with you. It's nothing to do with me. It's everything to do with Jesus Christ. But seven years ago, terrified out of my mind, up here, still terrified, but just a different circumstance. So... Um, I'm really blessed because Righteousness by Heart, I love that title. Um, and I feel like in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus spends 30 years of his life, you know, living, trusting in God, building relationships with people. He's baptized, he's tested in the wilderness, he calls his disciples, he's healing people, and then boom, we have three chapters of what it means to be an apprentice of Jesus, a follower of Christ, and 
you know, I think it's selfish because I get to preach this part, but I really do think that this part is the crux of the Sermon on the Mount, right? And it's a sermon. So the one thing I want to make sure that we understand is it's not random bits of thought on life, but it's a message, right? It's, and, and that's what, what one reason that I think that this particular passage in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, we tend to get this wrong because we take this as a section of something that's a lot bigger. And righteousness by heart, when we do it wrong, we're only going for behavioral modification, right? Just like this, this exterior thing that doesn't really matter much. But what Jesus does is in his first sermon, he's not going for behavioral modification. He's going straight to your heart. And I feel like we really misread this. So if you have a Bible or a cell phone, head to Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 25. I'm going to read out of the NIV here. If you don't have a Bible, the, uh, the text will be on the screen. I'm going to read the whole passage, and then we're kind of going to going to go through everything together here. Matthew 6, verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Okay, if you have a paper Bible and you like to take notes, grab a pen, grab a pencil, grab a highlighter. If you're in your Bible app, highlight this section, because there's one word that we have to look at. And it's the very first word, therefore. This is a huge word in the Bible. Sometimes, like in verse 31, we read so, um, but or in order that. When you read the word therefore in the Bible, it should hit you like a speed bump in the middle of the road that you need to pay attention. Because what happens after is a direct connector what happened before. And it has direct application for your life. So Jesus says to us, therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life. And that's how we read this. Don't worry about your life, right? We just say, hey, when all is going bad, when things aren't going well, don't worry about your life. Well, let me ask you this question. Do any of you have the spiritual gift like I do of worry and anxiety? Anybody? We have a few hands. Okay, so there's four of us, so this message is for us four, okay? So if you're like me and you have the spiritual gift of anxiety and worry, you realize that when Jesus says, don't worry about your life, that's easier said than done, right? Because what happens when we have an anatomy test next week or my girlfriend isn't texting me back? I have a wife. She always texts me back. Thank you, babe. Or what happens if our kids are growing up and they're not following Christ the way that we want them to? Or tragically, what happens if 
the kids leave the church. Buster, you talked about that earlier today. Stick around, it's, it's an amazing sermon. What happens when our kids leave the church and we worry and we have fear that we're not gonna spend eternity with them? What happens if I don't make enough money to pay my bills? These are all questions that every single one of us ask every single day, and Jesus says, stop it. That's the problem, and that's what we do. As leaders of the church, we read this and we say, you need to stop worrying. Jesus is in control. Jesus is in charge. But the problem is that only cuts at the top. It's only behavioral modification, and it's not righteousness by heart, a transformative word from Jesus Christ. But luckily, Jesus uses the word therefore because it connects something. Remember, therefore connects two ideas, and we do a disservice to this, this text by not looking at what happened before. And you can look directly in the, the previous verse, verse 24. I personally believe that we have to go back to verse 19. Pastor Michael did a wonderful job on this message, but I do feel like if we're going to get what Jesus is talking about here, we need to go back before we go forward. So in verse 19, this is what Jesus says. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And here's an interesting fact. We get the word heaven misunderstood in this text. It's just a really slippery word to us modern Americans, right? When we think heaven, we think the future, right? When Jesus comes back and when we're in eternity and everything is great and the streets are paved with gold, that's heaven. And they do have words for that process in, in the Jewish time, right? The New Testament, the gospel writers will call it to the age to come. John calls it eternity. Jesus, a lot of times, will actually call it the resurrection. But heaven in this context is not the future. Heaven in this context, what Matthew is talking about is God's space or God's present presence, the kingdom that is so close that it actually touches your skin where God rules and reigns. And Matthew, his audience was conservative Orthodox Jews that would not say the name of, of God out loud. So he wouldn't write it. Matthew uses it as a synonym for the kingdom of God. So when we think heaven in this context, we need to think right now. And that's really important that we get this tweak, right? Because the normal way that we read this is, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth now. Store up for yourselves treasures on earth or in heaven later. Just wait. See, but the problem with that reading is it, it makes the money-hungry, materialistic, greedy people of today the exact same as followers of Christ. The only difference is we as Christians believe in delayed gratification, that we're just going to wait for it for later. Do any of you think that Jesus is preaching no to greed now, but yes to greed later? No. That's not what he's saying here, but that's what we read into the text. That's what I used to read into this text, was just hold off. Just wait for the materialism, wait for everything, because whatever your interpretation of heaven is, whether it's mansions or whatever, that's what we'll get later. We'll be happy later, because what is happiness today? 
materialism, money, houses. It's not what Jesus is saying. He says, don't give your life to things that are passing away now. Instead, invest in things that start today. The kingdom of God is right now and last until eternity. The opposite of materialism, right, is not poverty. The opposite of materialism is generosity today that lasts into eternity. See, in verse 25, we read, you cannot serve both God and money. Now, in some translations, mine doesn't do this, but in the NIV, but they, they will actually capitalize the M in money. And there's a purpose behind that. You see, Matthew is writing this, um, this book in Greek, but this is a Hebrew word. And the, the original Hebrew word is mammon, right? Some of your translations will actually say mammon, okay? And this is fascinating. This is the only time that Jesus uses um, another god as a rival god in his, in his teachings. He's calling mammon, and mammon in the Old Testament was materialism, greed, money, selfishness, this God that allowed you to do whatever you wanted and get as much as you wanted. It's the only time that Jesus utilizes a rival God in his teachings, and I think it's directly on purpose. Because Jesus doesn't say you shouldn't serve God and mammon. Like, he doesn't say, you know, guys, you're doing really well serving me, and you're also crushing it in serving God, or in money, right? You're just killing it with the money worship. Um, the thing is, I would really like to have more of your time. You can do both, but can you please just give me a little bit more time? No. Jesus says, you cannot do this. You cannot serve God and money. And that's the myth today is that the more money we have, the less we will worry. A few years ago, they did a study, and they, they interviewed a whole bunch of people that their average salary was $50,000 a year. And the question was, well, how much money would it take for you to be happy and to have the perfect life? And the answer generally was $100,000 a year, so twice as much. Well, they then interviewed people that made $100,000 a year and asked them the exact same question. And did they say, no, we're fine, we're happy? No. You know what the answer was? They wanted $200,000 to make themselves happy. Double, continually. And that's what happens, is if you go down the path of more, the end of that path is worry and anxiety. It just is. When we start to head down the path of wanting more and materialism and mammon, because Jesus says we cannot do both, the end of that path will be worry and anxiety, full stop. And in my opinion, the critical line in, in what I read to you um, starts in verse 32, where it says, For the pagans run after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. God knows that you need food, that you need clothes on your back, that you need things in order to survive in this world. He knows it. It says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. You see, the seek first in the Greek can also mean to run after. So Jesus is setting us two paths, right? The pagans run after mammon. Christians run after Jesus. And it's that simple, right? And here's where we get this wrong. This is where, in my opinion, when I 
if I come to you and I say, if you're having anxiety, and I say, don't worry, like Jesus is in control. It's true, but it's not going to do anything deep in your heart. It's not going to transform your life in your heart. And this is what Jesus is saying, is what you worry about is what you worship. And anxiety is rooted in idolatry. It just is. And guess what? Those sound like harsh statements, but I'm being easy on you, okay? John Mark Comer, a pastor in Portland as well, Michael, you, you uh, quoted him last week. In his wonderful book called My Name is Hope about anxiety and depression, John Mark Comer says, anxiety is temporary atheism. I would like to come back and preach here again, so I'm not gonna call you atheist. I'm gonna say he did it, okay? <laughs> but it's true. So what is atheism and idolatry? It's aligning our heart's allegiance and love to anything less than the true recipient of our worship, which is God himself. You cannot serve God and mammon. You just can't do it. Now, please, I want you to hear me on this. I do not think that 100% of our anxiety is rooted in idolatry or atheism. I believe that there is shame and trauma in our lives that causes us not to to be able to not worry, okay? But while I don't believe 100% of it is, I would say a majority of it actually is. But here's the best part. There is a catch, and it's quite a beautiful one. In order for you to live the life that Jesus wants you to live, okay? And the life that he wants you to live is the one that he mentions about birds and flowers, Right? He says, I feed the birds of the air and I clothe the flowers of the field. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever seen a stressed out flower? Like when you're walking next to your garden and the flower's like, no, don't step on me. Please, 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 please. No. Have you ever seen a stressed out bird storing up worms, making sure he's got everything he has? No. That's why it's a squirrel. And Jesus didn't do any parables on squirrels. And what he's saying is not that he cares more about you. He does, but what he's saying here is that God even feeds these. How much more does God want you to have a life free of anxiety than them? And here's the catch. When you worry, you have to look deep inside your heart, trace the worry back all the way to your heart to find the idolatry. Find where your treasures are in the wrong spot. Jesus tells us there are two paths. You can run after this or you can run after this. You cannot run after both. Worry and anxiety with money, freedom in Christ. And when you have freedom in Christ, guess what? You're going to get these things anyway. That is why worry is a gift. That's the title of the sermon, the gift of worry. Worry is a gift because you can wake up in the middle of the night stressed out, panicked about whatever you're freaking out about, and realize that it's a guidepost that's showing you that you're going in the wrong direction. Has anyone gone hiking and gone in the wrong direction? I'm the only one? Okay. <laughs> so when you're going in the wrong direction, what's the thing that tells you if you don't know where you're going that you're going the wrong way? A sign. Guess what the sign is in this case? Worry, anxiety, 
waking up at 3 a.m. in a panic where your chest is just so tight and your heart is throbbing, you see that your treasures are stored in the wrong place. And it says, seek first his kingdom, okay? God loves nothing more than to tell you what you're idolizing. I promise you. Just ask him. He'll tell you. Now, that doesn't mean that we are not going to have a life of trouble, right? That's why Jesus closes with this, which should be one of our new favorite words, therefore, right? He says, therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And we know that, right? Every single day has enough trouble of its own. And Jesus is not inviting you to a life free of trouble. He's inviting you to a life free of anxiety. Whether you're rich or poor, where life is easy or hard, he's inviting you to have your treasure in something that starts today and lasts into eternity. At any given moment, one in four Americans is on an antidepressant drug. Just think about that. One in four Americans are on an antidepressant drug. In 2010, 253 million prescriptions were written for antidepressants, and there were only 311 million people in the United States. And ever since 2010, every single year, there were over 60 million new prescriptions written for antidepressant drugs. In 2018, it topped out at over 84 million antidepressant prescriptions given. New prescriptions. We know as Americans about anxiety. We do. We make up 5% of the overall population of the earth, yet we consume over 90% of the antidepressant drugs. It's fascinating. And the vast majority of my anxiety comes where my treasure is. As I said, my spiritual gift is, one of them is anxiety. And over the last few weeks, I have been dealing with an anxiety that I had never felt before, really. Um, waking up in the middle of the night, being up early, going to bed late, stressing about so many things. And when I asked God, finally took the time to just be still and ask God what I was worried about, it was you. Not blaming you for anything, okay? <laughs> I could, but I won't. But it's, I care so much about what other people think about me, I will work my tail off to make sure that each person in this room likes me. I'm idolizing your love for me. I stayed up late. I got up early. I'm waking up in the middle of the night trying to find ways to have other people like me and care about me. My treasures were on earth, right? And what God showed me is that Jesus Christ lived his life, died on the cross, was resurrected to show me how much love he has for me. And I hope that every single person in this room gets that right now, is that there's nothing that you can do to make the cross moment better or worse. It's already happened. It's done. But I spend my time toiling to get your love and your affection. 
when my treasures are stored in earthly things. But when I spend time in quiet and think about what Jesus did for me and for you, I have supreme value. And I hate to say this, but it doesn't matter what you guys think about me. It doesn't. It only matters that you realize what Jesus Christ did for you. The same thing that he did for me. And here's what I want you to know. When you have worry next time, and it's a lot, it's a, it's a guidepost, right? Oh, I'm idolizing something right now, okay? Don't feel shame about your idolization. You see, we read the text and Jesus says, you have little faith, right? And we think, ooh, that's pretty harsh because we read it that way. But the Greek word is oligopistoi, which is actually a word that Jesus created all himself and he uses it 10 times in the New Testament. And it's a nickname for his disciples called little faiths. It's not you of little faith, where he's condemning them. He says, hey, little faiths, put your trust in me. Store your treasure in me, because I love you. You see, the invitation of Jesus is not a life free from trouble, but it's a life free from anxiety and worry. And this is what Jesus calls us to. He calls us to put our treasures, not in earthly things, but to put our treasures in heavenly things where the dirt and the vermin can't destroy it and nothing can take it away. And that trouble cannot remove for your life. Store up your treasure in heaven. And that person goes by a name and his name is Jesus Christ. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Elevate Retake. Make sure to stay tuned for the Retake Conversation dropping in your feed on Friday this week. You do not want to miss it. We have a full studio of guests ready to talk about this subject and dissect it even more. We hope you had a fantastic time listening and we hope that it maybe impacted you in some way, shape, or form to the point where you could share it with a family member or a friend. You never know the blessing that you could be by just sharing today's message. You can find us on Instagram at Elevate Retake, and we'd love for you to leave us a voice message over on the Anchor app as well. It's a perfect way for us to connect with you, our fantastic and wonderful listener. You can find the link for that in our description as well. We'll see you next time, and I'll catch you on the Retake episode.